Hey everyone, welcome to a recap and a preview episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show of everything that's going on in March Madness. And it has been a mad march indeed. And Joe, I think that we got to start off with the biggest story of this tournament, and that's the St. Peter's peacocking, peacocking around. And I mean, to be honest, I think this is an even cooler story than Florida Gulf Coast Dunk City a few years ago because they beat Kentucky, and it wasn't a average John Calipari Kentucky team. This was a Kentucky team who I think had the second best odds to win the national championship after only Gonzaga, and they did it in an impressive fashion. They did it in overtime, and you saw at the end of the game they weathered some really great Kentucky runs, and they followed that up by beating Murray State, who was a very good seven seed and who I think a lot of Kentucky fans were worried about playing their in-state rivals and possibly losing in the second round. And so it wasn't a no-joke win they had in the second round either. And this uh, this St. Peter's team is the talk of the tournament. Yeah, rightfully so. I had never even heard of this university until last week or when they won their conference championship, and I was filling out the bracket. And, yeah, I would kind of, like, penciled in uh, Murray State-St. Peter's as the next-round matchup and thought, you know, Murray State might make give them a game then. But quite frankly, I had Kentucky making it all the way to the final four in the national championship game in my bracket. So that definitely suffered immensely. I think like a lot of people with uh, Kentucky's loss. But the other takeaway, Dan, I think you could argue that this might even be a bigger upset than the uh, UMBC Virginia upset a couple of years ago. And the reason I say that is DeAndre Hunter, one of the best players for Virginia, he missed that game for UVA. And also, this is Kentucky. You know, this is the blue blood of blue bloods out there, really. And so just just blown away that uh, St. Peter's pulled this off. I mean, Joe, I think that universally, if you were to ask college basketball fans, what is the best program in college basketball? I think most would probably say Kentucky. I think you get the highest percentage of that. I mean, I think it'd be split a lot between, you know, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and UCLA. I think the older people would say UCLA because of their 10 national championships with John Wooden and then their 1992 national championship. But I think that most people would probably say from a consistency standpoint, Kentucky's been the best program ever. I think they had the second most national championships with eight. And so in my mind, this is the biggest blue blood. You know, and I think that that makes it an even higher level. Virginia is a great basketball program. They have a lot of tradition. Of course, they won a national championship, but they're not they're not a blue blood in my mind. I would consider them like kind of in that next rung of basketball programs. And so I think that that makes the UMBC upset not quite as meaningful as this one. Yes, yes. In Kentucky, I think they're the all time winningest program in college basketball history. They are. And I mean, and you look at it like if they don't win the national championship, they make runs every year. And another thing is there's a lot of coaches that, you know, go out early. Uh, You know, even Tom Izzo, the one who's known for making his deep runs in the NCAA tournament, he's had a lot of years where he went out early. Of course, Mm -hmm. we talked about Virginia. That's not the only time that's ever happened to them. But Calipari has been one that rarely gets knocked off early in the tournament. Um, you feel like you see Kentucky make elite eights for the most part, you know, like it's, it's a rarity if they don't make the sweet 16. And then you feel like as Kentucky fans expect to at least go to the elite eight every year, if not the final four. Yeah. I don't remember the last time he lost in the first round, even at Memphis or uh, Kentucky. Now that you mention it, 
But I did hear an interesting stat the other day, Dan, that not a single player on Kentucky's current roster had an NCAA tournament win. Really? That's, that's interesting because, I mean, you know, you do have people like Oscar Sheway on the team that have been there for a couple of years. But I guess you think about it, Kentucky last year had that team that was unprecedentedly bad, you know, that didn't make the NCAA tournament. So it's a little bit different than what you're used to. Yeah, they had not as a program been to the tournament, I guess, in three years. Which is funny because everybody was talking about one of the strengths of this Kentucky team was their veteran leadership. I think this might tell you that maybe Calipari's way of just nailing it with the freshman is what he needs to stick with, and he doesn't need to have older players on his team. It definitely seems that way for sure. Um, but, yeah, then moving on, you know, they, they go out and beat a very good uh, Murray State program, and suddenly this Shaheen Holloway, the coach of St. Peter's, I think is the hottest coach in uh, college basketball. And, I mean, to me it seems – all but a lock that he's going to be the next Seton Hall coach. Seton Hall's coach, of course, went to Maryland, and Shaheen Holloway played at Seton Hall. And, of course, he mm-hmm. lives in Jersey City, which is, you know, where uh, St. Peter's is. I mean, I don't even know that he's going to have to get a new house if he wants to be Seton Hall's coach, Joe. I mean, he's just going right over the line into, into New York, doing the same commute that millions of people to do every day from New Jersey to – to New York, I mean, to me, it just seems like this is a match made in heaven and that as soon as uh, they lose to Purdue this week or whichever game they lose, that Holloway is going to be signed up to be the next Pirates head coach. And I think you're right on track there, Dan, with that assessment. Yeah. Um, Joe, some other big stories. I mean, of course, uh, St. Peter is not the only double-digit seed to make it to the Sweet 16. We have three, which is a very high level. I feel like generally you're going to have one – Sometimes you're going to have two, but seeing three double-digit seeds make it to the Sweet 16 is quite rare because they're joined by Iowa State, who, of course, uh, beat a, you know, a, a coachless LSU team, which a lot of us saw coming, and then a Wisconsin team that won the Big Ten regular season with Illinois, but one that all of us knew was a limited team. They had to have Johnny Davis go out and be the best player in the country every night. And if Johnny Davis didn't do that, they were susceptible to, to being beat by anyone. And everybody knew that. And, and Iowa State showed that. So that was a that was one that I actually had Iowa State in the Sweet 16. So that didn't shock me that much. But Miami being there is a complete and utter shock to me. Because we mentioned with St. Peter's that, uh, of course, you had Kentucky in the championship game. I also had Kentucky in the championship game, Joe, and I had them losing to my Auburn Tigers in the national championship game. And the other uh, double-digit seed that made it was, of course, Miami. And in what was an extremely disappointing performance, Miami just curb-stomped Auburn in that game. And it it was rough to watch, Joe. I mean, nobody had done that to Auburn all season. And Miami looked like legitimately the better team, the better prepared team, had a better game plan. And uh, it was a, it was a real head scratching performance that I just didn't see coming. And so many people penciled in Miami as kind of the sleeper team at the tournament, but I didn't see that as a possibility. I actually had them losing USC in the first round because as I thought USC I. was the better team. USC had been ranked all year and challenged teams like Arizona and UCLA, so did not see that happening. But it did in Miami. Now you know you see them taking on Iowa State. Miami looks like they could really make a serious run here. And, Joe, uh, Miami is one of these teams that really took advantage of the COVID year. 
because you look at them, they have three sixth-year seniors on their team. They have three guys that are 24 years old playing on their team. And so you look at it, this is something that can happen with this extra year of eligibility that's put out there. And they showed it. I mean, they were more mature than Auburn. You could see the veteran leadership there. And it really starts with their point guard, Charlie Moore, who not only is a sixth-year senior, he's played at four different D1 schools, Joe. I mean, this guy, can you imagine the frequent flyer miles that he has? He started his career at Cal. Then he went to Kansas. Then he went to DePaul. And now he's at Miami, and now he's got a chance to play to get into the Elite Eight. Wow, that's like a cross-country trip. Like, that's about as far as you can go from school to school. Yeah, I mean, he's played – and you think about uh, especially Cal to Cal to Miami, that's about as far as you can possibly make it. I guess if it was like Washington to Miami, that would be like the only one that would be longer. Right, exactly. Wow. But, you know, you got to say this. I mean, I was very impressed with the defensive prowess of Miami with um, how open they were able to get against Auburn – and Jim Laranega is a guy who has been an excellent basketball coach for a while. I mean, he led his own St. Peter's-like team with George Mason making the Final Four in 2006. Mm-hmm. And you got to think that right now he's probably one of the better coaches out there that hasn't won a national championship. And I saw an interesting stat about uh, Laranega, Joe. He is the leading uh, coach of all time and wins at three different schools which, I mean, how many people can say that? Uh, he's the leading coach now at Miami and wins. He was the leading coach at George Mason and wins. And I can't think of the third one, but there was another one, too, that he coached at before George Mason where he was the uh, their all-time winning as coach. That's really impressive. And you look at their current roster, you know, with the senior leadership you talked about, the defense is just really disruptive with their guards. And speaking of their guards, you know, they play a uh, – they run a four-guard system, and that really makes it tough on the full-court press. It, it does. And, I mean, they they were a bad matchup for Auburn because their guards were superior to Auburn's. And the biggest problem was both of Auburn's best players had their worst game of the season in the same game, and that's yeah. what sunk them. I mean, I, I didn't think it was possible to see Walker Kessler be that bad. And Jabari Smith, I mean, he was awful in that game. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, to me, I, I kind of felt like maybe he had been watching a highlight reels of himself doing that posterizing dunk over Jacksonville State for three days and didn't prepare for this game because he, he looked uh, horrible in it. Yeah, and you thought if Auburn was going to lose, it was probably going to be the poor guard play, but yeah. you're right. It was kind of like the two best players not playing. I thought the guards played perfectly fine. They played definitely well enough to win. I thought Katie Johnson and Wendell Green – had pretty solid games. Uh, Zeb Jasper didn't do much offensively, but that's not really what his game is. And so I would have thought if you could have told me that both uh, Wendell Green and Katie Johnson had solid games, that there'd be no way we'd lose. But there was no way you can anticipate that Walker and Jabari would play the worst games of their career and and maybe was the last game of, of each of their careers. Right. Very, very unexpected. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that was a really real thud into the season for Auburn and what otherwise was one of the best seasons of program history. You had, a, you had an outright title in the SEC. You had a chance to be a number one seed, ended up being a two seed. You had your first ever number one ranking, and it ends in the second round to a 10th seed at Miami. And, Joe, they're not the only ones in the SEC that ended up having a disappointing run. 
Look at Kentucky. They lost to St. Peter's. Um, LSU goes out in the first round. Tennessee. And, Joe, they were probably maybe at the end of the year more talked about in terms of SEC teams than anyone else. Everyone was all up in arms ready to burn down the NCAA office about about Tennessee being a three seed. And suddenly Tennessee goes out against an 11-seeded Michigan team that's had plenty of controversy. And you want to talk about someone that has had their scripts flipped in the last month. You and I were talking about how Jamon Howard probably should have been fired by Michigan. And now all of a sudden he's fresh off a win against one of the hottest teams in the country in Tennessee. And Michigan is sitting there as the lone representative of, as one of the only two representatives of the big 10 in the sweet 16 and Arkansas is the only representative from the SEC in the Sweet 16. And so, you, you know, everybody's been, you know, banging the drum of how the SEC and the Big Ten were the best conferences this year. Pretty pretty poor showing in the tournament so far. Right. And instead, you know, shockingly, you have the ACC and the uh, Big 12 just doing so well right now. Yeah, I mean, and that's the complete flip side is that this is supposed to be the weakest the, the ACC has ever been. Everyone's talking about – it's Duke. It's a probably slightly underrated North Carolina team, and there's nothing else. Nobody really thought Miami was that good. They didn't even – Wake Forest, their coach got coach of the year in the ACC. They didn't even make the tournament. They had the player of the year too, I think, in the ACC. Yeah, and now you're looking at it, and Duke's in the Sweet 16, North Carolina's in the Sweet 16, Miami's in the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. and – Definitely great showing for the ACC, and it shows that they maybe have better basketball than we thought they did. And maybe Kentucky and Auburn really were paper tigers in a league that wasn't quite as tough as everybody put it out there to be. Right, right, absolutely. And the Big East looks pretty solid, too, with uh, Providence and uh, Villanova. Absolutely. And, Joe, I mean, going down the line of SEC teams, uh, I thought another one that was really disappointing was Alabama. I mean, I saw it coming. I predicted that Alabama would lose that first-round game. But I didn't think they would get ran out of the stadium like that by a team in Notre Dame that I was complaining even made the field. Mm-hmm. And I think we've noticed, you know, since the advent of the first four, a team that wins that game is won, like, one of the first-round games every year. Yeah, it seems like they always get on a little bit of a run. You know, they, they feel like maybe they're a little bit uh, hated on by the committee. They got something to prove. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, Joe, every year I pick a, a team that wins in the first four to win that first game, if not make the Sweet 16, because I, I see that as something that really does drive programs to greatness in March. Absolutely, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean – you know, moving forward, uh, looking at what we got, you know, we said that Arkansas is the only SEC team made of the Sweet 16. Well, Joe, what's their gift that they get for making the Sweet 16? They have to play Gonzaga in the first, in, in, as, as their first game. And suddenly you feel like there's a very good chance that no SEC teams make the Elite Eight. Right. It looks unlikely because, you know, Gonzaga has the big advantage down low. Although, of course, you know, Arkansas did beat Auburn this year. That's a great front court. And so, you know, you never say never. And I do think there are some questions about Gonzaga's guard play this year. They're not as good as they were last year without uh, Jalen Suggs. But they're still good. I mean, Andrew Nimhard's a good point guard. But the biggest question I would have about Gonzaga is their poor free throw shooting. Like, they almost lost to Memphis because they missed so many free throws. So, if Arkansas can make free throws, they can keep this game close. I think it's close because I think Musselman's a good coach, but I do like Gonzaga to win by four or five points. 
Yeah, Joe, I mean, Arkansas is a tough team because they've won both of their first two games by scoring in the 50s. Uh, I bet there's probably been less than five teams ever in the NCAA tournament that have actually won multiple games in a row while scoring in the 50s. I would venture to say that Virginia and Tony Bennett would probably be one of them because of the style of play they have. But it's a tough thing to do. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for Gonzaga. I mean, we look at the, the history they've had against the SEC. They got drugged by Alabama this year by an Alabama team that we saw was obviously a very uh, hot and cold team, but not very consistent. And Arkansas is a team that, that beat Alabama this year. And, of course, they beat Auburn. And they're, they're a very tough out. And I think that if you see J.D. JD Note have a really solid game, if they can hold Timmy down a little bit, because, I mean, Gonzaga was in a rough shape against Memphis. They were losing that game by a lot of points. And Timmy just put the team on his back and did what I thought either Jabari Smith or Walker Kessler would have done for Auburn in that Miami game. And they they required every bit of Timmy's performance to win against a what ended up being a very gritty Memphis team. Right, right. And also, though, that game did play out offensively, you know, the style that Gonzaga is used to. To your question, can they win a game, you know, in the 50s or 60s to Arkansas style? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you look at what happened against Baylor last year in the finals. Baylor was a very solid defensive team, and they kind of stuck it to Gonzaga. So I'm kind of with you on this one. Uh, I told you before, you know, a couple weeks ago, I've got a ticket right now on uh, Arkansas uh, to win the entire NCAA tournament because I thought they had a lot of value on them as my futures bet. If they can win this game, that certainly, you know, does it. But I still like Gonzaga in this one, but I'm with you. I think that it's going to be somewhere in the three to five point range, may even be a one score game. Yeah, really entertaining matchup for sure. And Joe, uh, Duke, of course, one of the big stories in this tournament, uh, Coach K's in his final season, and it almost ended before the Sweet 16, even against Michigan State. And what, you know, what was just a great matchup? I mean, Tom Izzo is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Of course, Coach K is like a top three coach. I would probably put Tom Izzo as a top 10 coach. And you saw a really excellent basketball game. Well, I thought Duke showed a lot of medal and really kind of showed me that they have the chops to win this tournament. I didn't think they did, but they were playing a very, you know, disciplined, well-coached Michigan State team. Uh, we're down by five points with a few minutes left and really just, just put it all together. Bancaro. Uh, went nuts at the end of that game. And Duke looked like a team that could win the national championship in the last couple minutes of a very competitive game against Michigan State. Right, right. It's going to be hard to close them out. Like, I know they lost the last game for Coach K at Cameron Indoor Stadium, but I do think in this NCAA tournament, it's going to take a, a big effort from a team to close them out just with them wanting to, to win so much for Coach K. And so, you know, we'll see how they look in, the, in their next game. But I think most people are kind of, you know, expecting a Gonzaga uh, Duke Elite Eight. Well, Joe, uh, the next game, I think it's going to put a thorn in that side because they're playing Texas Tech. And Texas Tech, to me, is one of the biggest matchup nightmares in this tournament. They play amazing defense. And I think everybody kind of sold the Red Raider program down the river when Chris Beard left to go to Texas. Uh, but their new coach, Adams, has really come in and has just continued what Beard did and – you could argue he's done it better. He beat Chris Beard both times he played him at Texas. And Texas Tech looks like a very good basketball team that I think is going to frustrate Ben Caro and a lot of the young players at Duke. 
And Joe, this is one of my bigger upsets. I've got Texas Tech winning this game. And actually, I think that if you look at the line, I think Texas Tech is favored in this game. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Their head coach, I think, was their defensive coordinator and assistant when they were in the national championship game three years ago against Virginia. And so, you know, he's definitely got a wealth of experience there. Um, I can see it going both ways. I do think Texas Tech has a great chance to win, but I do expect Duke to win a really close game and um, move forward to that that Duke-Gonzaga um, Elite Eight game. All right, Joe, this is the game that I'm looking forward to the most in this entire Sweet 16. And you know it's the one that Tar Heel Tom is looking forward to the most. Of course, North Carolina did what you and I, we both picked them to beat Baylor. Now, probably not the way they beat Baylor where they blew a 25-point lead after uh, Tyler Manning got uh, unceremoniously booted from the game and what really kind of, you know, spurred Baylor's comeback. But a lot of kudos to uh, Hubert Davis in North Carolina for weathering the comeback from Baylor to beat him in overtime. And suddenly, you know, we talked about uh, Kentucky being a blue blood. Well, Joe, the collective blue blood power of their Sweet 16 game is just amazing. And this is the one that I think is premium television watching UCLA taking on North Carolina. I mean, this is a game that you probably seen in the Final Four, seen the national championship before, and it's just going to be so much history, and I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Yes, and what I like about this UCLA team is that, you know, in this era of one-and-dones and players transferring, this is one of those few examples, Dan, where you have a team that made a deep run last year to the Final Four, and now they pretty much ran it back with the same roster intact. Mm-hmm. So I mean, These are players, you know, we're familiar with household names like Johnny Juzang. But I am concerned for UCLA's standpoint because I think Jaquez, his status is either um, we don't know if he's going to play or if he's going to be as effective after uh, getting injured in their last game. And so I actually am probably going to surprise people by picking North Carolina to win this game. I think that is going to give North Carolina a slim advantage. Yeah, Joe, uh, when I picked this game in my bracket, I picked UCLA to win it. Um, because I love the continuity they had from last year with having Hawkeyes back with Johnny Juzang. And, you know, you always talk about how this is a guard-based tournament. Well, Tiger Campbell is one of the best point guards in all of college basketball. So tough. He reminds me a lot of Jared Harper from Auburn a few years ago. And, I mean, he's a guy that gets the basket, gets his free throws, great distributor. And I really liked, I really liked uh, UCLA early on to win this game. But Hawkeyes is a big deal because obviously North Carolina's got a great inside game with uh, Baco, who's one of the best players in the ACC. And, you know, with Manic being such an excellent three-point shooter right now uh, and R.J. Davis playing the way he is, it seems like even though I'd picked UCLA early on, not having Hawkeyes out there, I think, makes a big difference. And so, yeah, I'm actually going to go North Carolina to be the uh, the first uh, team from the ACC to make the Elite Eight, and they're going to be joined by Miami in my mind. So I think you're at least going to get two ACC teams in the Elite Eight, which is quite a quite a year for uh, the league that probably people weren't expecting a whole lot out of. Right, right. And otherwise, you know, if UCLA is fully healthy, I mean, they could win this uh, game. They could win this tournament still. But I do think that uh, that North Carolina will win this game. And who will they match up with if they win this? Uh, They won't be playing Duke yet, but there is. uh, If they can make the Final Four, it's going to be a Duke-North Carolina Final Four. So you'll get to see it one more time. 
Okay. Okay. So that'll put, I guess, North Carolina in the Elite Eight. They would face Purdue, St. Peter's, Purdue. Yeah, that's right. Well, Joe, uh, let's go. Let's go look at that one. So, of course, the St. Peter's team they they killed they killed the giant that is Kentucky. They beat the little giant in that own state that is Murray State. But now they're taking on a team full of giants. Uh, Purdue is one of the biggest basketball teams in America. Uh, one thing that Matt Painter does is he knows where to, how to find those seven footers. And I think he's got like two guys on this roster that are both over seven foot one. And uh, Purdue is an excellent scoring team. Jaden Ivey is one of the best guards in the country. They got a lot of big men, but the biggest problem for Purdue is that they are a poor defensive team. And Joe, St. Peter's, are they equipped to take advantage of what is kind of a lackluster Purdue defense? Yeah, I mean, I think that the problem for uh, St. Peter's is they're undersized. So they would have to, in my opinion, you know, be disruptive on defense, but they would also have to get really hot from behind the arc. Their tallest player, I think, in their regular rotation is like 6'7". And you're right, like Purdue rolls out there, you know, with a starting center that's 7'4", and a starting forward that's just 6'11 or 6'10". So that's really tough from a matchup standpoint. And also, Jaden Ivey may be the best tournament, the best player left in this tournament, you know, with some of the other players that have left and lost in earlier rounds for other teams. And so I think on the strength of Ivey, this Purdue team is going to win this game against St. Peter's pretty easily. And suddenly Purdue has a really good chance to make it to the Final Four. Yeah, Joe, I'm on this one. I love the story of Shaheen Holloway and of the Peacocks, which is my new favorite mascot. But I think the Peacock is going to go home and it's still going to be able to show a lot of feathers and be proud of their accomplishments. But, yeah, I think Purdue is going to take this because I just don't think that uh, that St. Peter's is going to be able to compete with that size that Purdue is going to throw out there. There's not many teams that can. Right, exactly. All right, Joe. Well, you know, we, we looking at uh, what else we have left. We haven't looked at the other number one seeds. So, of course, Baylor's out. They're the only number one seed that lost. But you still have uh, Kansas left in there. And I think uh, we already talked about Gonzaga. The other one seed that, that we have uh, left. Can't think of it right now. Oh, Arizona. Arizona, that's right. So, let's look at their matchups, Joe. So they will play – who do they – they beat TCU. Yeah, that's right. They beat TCU. Okay. Oh, they play Providence. Okay, that's an interesting game. You know, Joe, Providence was a team that uh, I was uh, – it was a great win for them to win the regular season in uh, the Big East, which has been a, a good program, a, bit, a good conference this year. But, you know, Providence kind of limped at the end of the year. They got beat by, what, 40 points – in their last um, uh, in their last regular season game in the tournament, and I actually had them going out in the first round against South Dakota State. But Providence has been pretty commanding in both of their wins, making the Sweet Sixteen. They've got a really kind of interesting story with their head coach, who I'm pretty sure played at uh, at Providence and is kind of a homegrown hero. And he's someone that you know definitely has a, a cool program going on there. But it's kind of hard for me to for me to see uh, Providence winning this game against Arizona, who is one of the most talented teams in this field, and who you know I think I had them making the Final Four. So it's hard for me to no, that's, not, that's actually not accurate, Joe. Arizona is yeah. taking on Houston. 
yeah, I was, just, yeah, I, I apologize for that. It just hit me um, that, that that was, uh, I get Providence is playing Kansas. Providence playing Kansas. I now, Joe, I will say this. Uh, I'm not a big Kansas believer. I believe in Arizona. Kansas is a team that, frankly, when I saw them be listed as a one seed, I was kind of weirded out by it. Of course, I wanted Auburn to be a one seed, and I kind of thought that Auburn was a better basketball team than both Baylor and Kansas. Now, of course, Auburn lost that game now, so you can say I was being a little bit of a homer. I still would argue they were better than Baylor. But Kansas is one that I just can't – I can't shake the fact, Joe, that I saw Kentucky go into Fog Allen and obliterate Kansas. Mm-hmm. You can't get that out of my mind. And suddenly the, ACE, the SEC showed that it wasn't that great of a conference. You know what, Joe? I'm calling upset here. Providence takes out Kansas, and the Friars are going to the Elite Eight. That would be quite a story. Um, yeah, I, I could see it happening. You know, Ed Cooley, the Providence coach, like you said, he's from Providence, grew up there. Um, he's had this team, you know, led them to a Big East regular season title this year. Uh, you know, they're a team that plays good defense, good rebounding, and, you know, those are things that travel well in the tournament. And you also feel like Bill Self, you know, he doesn't probably get enough criticism for the years that they haven't made it to the Final Four. Like mm-hmm. I think it's the final four two or three times, but there's been so many years where they lay an egg in like the sweet 16 or the lead eight and lose a lot of times when they have a favored team. And so this would be classic Kansas to lose this game. So no, I, I could certainly see that. And that would advance uh, uh, Providence to take on the winner of Miami, Iowa state, I think. Yeah. And suddenly you would definitely have a shocking team in the final four. Any of those I think would be a big surprise and, Joe, we were talking about that earlier, how Calipari, what made the St. Peter's upset even more memorable is the fact that Calipari doesn't go out early very often. Well, you're right. I mean, Bill Self's got a track record of going out early all the time. I mean, he's made some deep runs, but you feel like whenever he has these one seeds, he's one of those one seeds that's very apt to get beat by the eight or nine in the second round. Mm-hmm. And, and, Joe, I see this as a prime upset opportunity for a Providence team who a lot of people doubted but are suddenly playing really good in this tournament. Right, right. And what's the ironic thing about uh, Bill Self and John Calipari is the main reason both of them have a national championship is they beat each other. Like, they weren't going to win one without beating each other. Yeah, that is interesting right there. Well, Joe, going back to Arizona, I think that this, outside of, you know, my fascination of the history of North Carolina taking on UCLA, I think Arizona-Houston is a compelling basketball game. You and I, I think, I don't know whether you had it, but I had UAB beating Houston in the first round. I think you may have had that one. I did too. Yeah. Um, But Houston has looked dominant in their first couple games in this tournament, and they went out and beat a very good Illinois team who had, you know, one of the top five players in this uh, tournament in Kofi Cockburn and the, you know, is an excellent uh, big center. And Houston's style of just defense and grind it out is a – they're the biggest matchup nightmare to me outside of maybe Texas Tech. I think you can make an argument between the two. And they're a very tough out. And and I think that Kelvin Sampson is starting to put himself in position to be a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, you look at what he has done everywhere he's been. He's got this Houston program looking excellent, and they're only going to get better once they get in the Big 12. You go back and you think that he did a lot of stuff at Indiana – after Bob Knight left that I'm sure that at the time people weren't really respecting because he was, I think he was the guy right after Bobby Knight. Um, And suddenly Indiana has just become a shell of itself lately. And 
Kelvin Sampson has got a really great uh, style that, you know, he has good players, but none of them seem to be stars and they, they accepted a role and they played great defense. And I'm a little worried for Arizona in this one, Joe, and I've been really kind of flip-flopping on this one. Um, what do you think on this one? I think that the winner of this game will make it to the national championship game on that side of the bracket. Um, I'm going to go with Arizona, and it's largely for two reasons. One, I had Arizona winning the national championship on my bracket, and so I want to stick with that. Um, number two, I really think the way uh, Arizona beat TCU the other night, really in controversial fashion, you know, it was really inexplicable that a foul was not called against Arizona at the end of that game before it went into overtime against TCU. But regardless of that, I came away from that game, Dan, feeling like it's just meant to be for Arizona. Like if they weren't going to go out then, feel like they're just going to kind of keep on advancing. And they kind of have the best team that nobody knows about because they play in the Pac-12 mm -hmm. and they're not UCLA. I mean, Matherin is a great player, like a lottery pick in the draft. And he's an explosive guard with a lot of star power. And so if you look at him, the front court that they have, um, I think that Arizona is going to get by Houston. But like I said, it could go either way. And I really like the winner to advance uh, to the finals. Well, Joe, uh, this is one where, you know, I had Arizona going to the final four, but I've already gone against myself based on what I've seen. And I think – I like Houston in this game because of their defense, because of their coaching, and because of their veteran leadership. They got a lot of the people left from their final four game, final four appearance last year. And I think Kelvin Sampson has a great chance to play in a national championship and maybe win it this year. And I think the strength of their coaching and their defense and their leadership gets this big upset. And I'm actually going to go Houston making the Elite Eight on this one. That'd be quite a story. I mean, they had a lot of injuries this year, and so for them to make it back to the Final Four this year would definitely be a huge story for Kelvin Sampson. And I think the winner of Houston, Arizona, takes on, what is it, the winner of Villanova in Michigan? That's right. And, Joe, that's the last one we got to talk about today. Um, I think all of us had Villanova making it here. Uh, what a great, consistent program that Jay Wright has built. I mean, I think Jay Wright is – He's definitely a top 10 coach of all time right now. And by the time it's said and done, he'll be top five, maybe even top three, I think, with what he's done at Villanova. And this is a standard Villanova team. He has got a method to success, and his teams always fit that bill. They're excellent free throw shooters. I think they're the best free throw shooting team in the country. They have great three-point shooting. That's always there. They're also an underrated defensive team. And, Joe, I think that Michigan has been a, a very interesting story. I mean, Juwan Howard's kind of making a little bit of a comeback in his public image. Uh, of course, you saw him hugging the Tennessee player after the game, and I think that was a good thing to see. But, Joe, he's going to be crying at the end of this one because I think Villanova is about to lay a Philadelphia-sized beatdown on Michigan in this. I really like Villanova in this game, and – uh, you know, I'm going to have to see that Villanova, uh, Arizona, and the Villanova-Houston game that I predict in the, in the Elite Eight is going to be great. But I see Jay Wright and his boys laying the smack down, down on Michigan and making it to the Elite Eight in this one. Yeah, I like Villanova as well, you know, on the strength of uh, Colin Gillespie and company. You know, they got a lot of momentum after winning the Big East tournament. My only concern for Villanova, and it's the main reason I do think they'll eventually uh, – fail to make it to the final four in the elite eight round is I am concerned about their front court. Um, mm -hmm. Their size compared to Michigan would be a little bit of a cause for concern yeah. if it's a close game because Hunter Dickinson 
could cause them some trouble down low. Well, Joe, I think that Hunter Dickinson is going to be a problem, and I think that you know Michigan will probably hang in there for the first half. But what I see happening in this game is Jay Wright is so smart with the way he constructs things is I think that Villanova is going to do to Michigan what Miami did to Auburn, which is Auburn, you know, Miami got Walker Kessler in foul trouble early and made him sit for large portions of this game. And I think that Jay Wright is going to have his guys go out there and attack Hunter Dickinson and get him in foul trouble early, and he's not going to make that much of an impact in this game. I can see that, you know, they kind of neutralize that disadvantage or advantage there. That would be key. You know, like I said, it's all predicated for me on the guard play, similar to Miami if you're Villanova. And if Jay Wright can make a deep run this year, you know, let's say they can make it to a Final Four this year. I mean, imagine what that would do for his legacy because you're right. Like, he's one of the best coaches. And even though everybody, I think, considers him one of the best coaches, he doesn't get enough credit. Like, think about how highly we regard, you know, the likes of Calipari or especially – Tom Izzo, and they just got one national title. I mean, this guy already has two. He's already got two, and I think he lost another one in the finals as well, correct? I think he's, he's I think he's played for three finals and won two of them. One other final four, I think. I think he lost uh, Carolina and Hensborough in the 09 final four. That's right, yeah. Okay, because he had lost North Carolina. I couldn't remember if that was in a championship game or if that was in a Final Four. Because there was a lot of North Carolina, UNC games, and championships, and Final Fours there for a little bit of time. You're right. You're right. But, yeah, no, you're right. I think Jay Wright is a very underrated coach who gets put behind other coaches who he has more accomplishments than. I think he's going to show that again this year. And I think that's going to be a great battle if what I foretell happens in the Elite Eight between – probably the two most underrated coaches in America and Calvin Sampson and Jay Wright. Right, right. I mean, really, all these Sweet 16 games, like I don't know if all of them be close because I think we expect a couple of blowouts, but all of them have good storylines. You know, even the St. Peter's game because of the Cinderella element, like all of them have great storylines. Yeah, and I think the St. Peter's game becomes even more interesting because you think, how can they possibly overcome – this uh this advantage of being in uh in the redwood forest with these Purdue players and how tall they are. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, and speaking of underrated, we think I think our show is underrated. We want you to listen some more. If you want to listen to some of our underrated episodes, got them available on Spotify. Search the Dan and Joe Sports Show. You can also check us out on YouTube and what is our growing YouTube channel, the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And of course, you can like our Facebook fan, fan book page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.